Good morning, Georgetown Christian. Hey, I think most of you know my name is Chris Tanner, and I'm the teaching pastor here at Georgetown Christian. It's my privilege to be with you all this morning and to open the Word of God together. We'll be in a lot of different scriptures. We'll be starting in Philippians 2. Um, you know, 9-11 is probably the most recent thing I can say I remember where I was, and this is decades later now. I wonder if history will say, we'll find ourselves saying, I remember where I was when Russia invaded the Ukraine. Um, I want to uh, just be transparent. Uh, I don't remember where I was right now, but I remember what I thought, and uh, it's sort of the genesis of this sermon, because our thoughts can't stay where my thoughts were. Um, my first thoughts were, oh my gosh, what about the price of gas? What about the price of a gallon of milk? What about the markets? What about mortgage rates, right? My thoughts were initially for myself, for my family. And you could probably defend most of what my thoughts were by saying, uh, you know, you're worse than an unbeliever if you don't care for your family. And that's true. You are. But, but Paul, um, Paul writes that we have a different expectation as Christians, and that's why I said Philippians chapter 2. He's talking about Christ's example of humility, and this is what he says in Philippians chapter 2, if you would like to read along. I'm in verse number 4. He says, look not only to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. We see that kind of falling in alignment with what Jesus says in summary, the greatest commandment, right? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So the question that we're left with um, requiring of ourselves as Christians to answer is, then how does a Christian, and not just any Christian, but we're a Christian on the literal opposite side of the globe, how does a Christian respond to war in a way that glorifies God? We all get to come in here and I don't know about you, but I traveled absolutely freely to this place today. We gather as a church without any fear of harm, none whatsoever, either while we're here or when we go home. And that's a great privilege. But we have these brothers and sisters on the other side of the world. And we have this God who, it's our purpose to glorify Him, right? So how then should a Christian respond to war? How should a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ respond to war in a way that glorifies God. If you've ever shifted gears, especially downshifted, you know that there's a lurch. There's no way to prepare you for this. I want to talk to you about my dog. Major downshift, right? Okay, war, dog. So here's how they're related, I promise. Just stick with me. We got a dog about a year and a half ago. We adopted her from a just like a puppy pound, puppy mill, whatever. She's adopted. She's a little much. She's like, yay, big, right? And whenever I'm adopting this dog, I'm thinking back to when I had a dog, and that means there's going to be a lot of messes in the house, probably going to break and destroy some things, and there's going to be a lot of barking. Every time someone approaches the yard or whatever, there's going to be this little doorbell that runs around the house, right? So that was my impression of what the dog would be like. And yet, after a year and a half, I can tell you that that dog has a role in our family. That dog has, has even like personified or embodied a purpose in our family, right? So you tracking with me? The purpose of the dog 
in our family now, not what I thought, now is to provide comfort, to provide snuggles, right? A very basic purpose. Well, Sweets, our dog, um, sometimes doesn't accomplish her purpose. And that's no big deal, right? Maybe she's busy when you had a bad day at work, a bad day at school, a bad day in practice. You're not getting to get any doggy snuggles today, right? She was busy. But imagine, if you will, and I'll stick with me, okay, this really has a reason. Imagine, if you will, that this doggo <coughs> doesn't just not accomplish her purpose. It's not a neutral matter. I mean, imagine that, uh, I don't have to imagine this, okay? Two nights ago, the smoke detector batteries were low, and you know how they beep? Okay, so the beeping, and it, of course, you know the time they beep, right? They're all programmed, they beep at 2 a.m. I can tell you this from experience. Uh, and so the beeping starts, and the dog is losing her mind, like, all up in our face, and, like, she likes to sleep in one of our kids' beds, in the kid's face, and breathing, and, like, sitting, and licking, and, and so the dog is not just not accomplishing her purpose. She's not, a, like, a neutral observer. She's actually living counter to her purpose. So imagine a Christian, or even a pastor, God forbid, living counter to my purpose, counter to what I believe, to what I say I believe. So this is why we have to answer the question, how does a Christian respond to war? Because if we're living like counter to our purpose to glorify God, then we're damaging the kingdom of God. We're maligning the name of God. It's way worse than just losing some sleep because a dog is really upset about some beeping, right? At the very least, as best I can tell, when we, when we are not glorifying God, when we are not fulfilling our purpose to love God, love others, do acts of good to glorify his name, to shine light in the darkness, when we are not living according to our purpose, people could believe one of two things. <clears throat> Number one, that God is not trustworthy. That's a big problem. Or number two, that we just have a problem trusting God. Either one of those is a problem if you say you're a Christian. So how should people like ourselves, fully devoted followers of Christ, respond to war in a way that glorifies God? If you would turn with me, I'm going to be visiting a few different scriptures. You might want to keep your hand there in Matthew but I'll be going to Matthew chapter 10. And I think if I turn with you, I can wait for you, right? If you haven't brought a scripture with you, then there's a copy under the seat in front of you or close by you. And that's the NIV, and that's what we'll have on the screens as well. So I'm going to Matthew 10, 28. Jesus teaching. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So how should a fully devoted follower of Christ respond to a war? We should respond in hope. So I'm glad that I get to stand before you today and say that I didn't stay in my initial response. But man, imagine when to the world, <clears throat> they see us not responding in hope, but responding in worry. Jesus preached against worry for a great reason. How can we say 
I trust God for my daily bread. And then go over here and worry about where we're going to get the bread or how much the bread costs or golly gee, a gallon of gas used to be three whatever and now it's four whatever. And I'll admit, that is very inconvenient for me and for some of my friends. That changes the way they live their life. And I don't mean like, gosh, we can't go on vacation. I mean, maybe some kids' college funds aren't being funded. Maybe we're not going out to eat at all. Maybe we're not buying the new clothes or shoes we need. A dramatic impact, right? But our lives still have to reflect our hope, and our hope should be in God. So turn with me now, and you may want to keep a finger there in Matthew. We'll be back there. If you would turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Peter is writing to um, Christians, and he's addressing the way that they should appear to be living among people who are not Christians. So he writes to the Christians, and he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Now, I'm not topically here because of the word war. I'm I'm here because of a word I would like to... Draw your attention to foreigners, and I just want to say, I like the ESV here. Has anybody got the ESV? What does it say? Who's got an ESV? What does it say there where it says foreigners? It says sojourners, doesn't it? So let's talk about a sojourner just for a second. I really like the word sojourner because a sojourner is a person who is traveling with a purpose, and that, that is what I believe the heart of Peter's message here is, that we... We're sojourners. We travel with a purpose, don't we, as Christians? So when I was in uh, college, uh, Kentucky Christian College, um, just like a couple days ago, right? Everybody nod your head. Just go with it, okay? Uh, I was in college, and uh, Andrea was at Murray State University, and so every weekend I possibly could, I would leave Kentucky Christian, and I would drive all the way down to Murray State to visit Andrea. I just loved being with her, right? Well, there was this one particular weekend that she wasn't going to be at Murray. She was going to be in Nashville with her parents. Very exciting. I would love to go to Nashville. Who wouldn't love to go to Nashville, right? But I had this giant project. So I decide I'm not going. I'm going to just go to the lab and pound on this project all weekend. Well, I get in the lab at like 4 Friday, and I work till they close at 9. And somewhere along the time I'm working, I hear these girls chatterboxing in the back, uh, not disruptively, but I can tell there's like an accent like exchange student accent, right? Not Eastern Kentucky, I mean like exchange student, (laughs) okay? So here's how I found out for sure it was definitely an accent. Uh, After the lab closed and um, (laughs) we have to leave, right? Leave the computers, if that dates me just a little. (laughs) We, We have to leave and I'm talking to them saying, man, I wish I was with my girlfriend this weekend. She's in Nashville. And they say, yeah, we have nothing going on. We wish we, I'll try to say it, we want mall shop for shoes, right? Uh, if I could just try to be like them for a second. They were awesome. Uh, because we found ourselves uh, suddenly right there at like 9 o'clock on a Friday night as uh, like a group of people who had this common purpose. 
and there was traveling. So we became sojourners, right? They got in the car with me and agreed to keep me awake if I would get them to to mall to shop shoes, right? If I would get them there safely, then they would ride with me and keep me awake. So I got to surprise Andrea. It was great. They stayed awake, and we sojourned to Nashville for, like, traveling for a purpose, right? As Christians, then, we sojourn just the same. But the way that we live is literally part of that. That's why I love the word sojourn. It means we travel for a purpose. We travel the way we live our lives. We travel through time here on this earth in a way that glorifies God, then we're sojourners. We're sojourners who reflect his light and his love to a community that's lost and to a community that already knows him. We have to reflect that light and love. That is one of our responses. One of our responses as fully devoted followers of Christ to a war is to express our complete hope, our full hope in God. He receives the glory when people can see us place our hope in him. I love how Jeremiah puts this. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Now imagine living as though this isn't true. Imagine living as though you're going to the pump and thinking, Oh my goodness, where am I going to get gas next week? But imagine living as though we know that the Lord has plans to proper, prosper us, and not to harm us, plans to give us a hope and a future. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer hardship, does it, friends? I know we've talked about in the last six months the fact that we may suffer hardship for his glory. But he also promises to give us hope. So as Christians, a proper response to war then is to place our hope in God. Okay, a second response as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ is, number one, to put our hope in the Lord. Number two to pray. We're going to pray. If you want to turn with me, I'll be in Ephesians. So why is prayer a response to war? I think Paul addresses this in the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul explains that, yes, there is a battle. Okay, I'm, I'm not trying to tell you this isn't physical. We're going to see all sorts of news reports that imply it's very physical and very real. Paul, however, says this battle is spiritual and therefore must be waged spiritually. So while you and I, right here, because of our physical location, are physically unable to stop any bullets or soldiers or tanks or jets or anything, we would be just as helpless there, would we not? Probably just as helpless there. Paul argues that because of because of who God is and because of who we are in him, that we should necessarily enter this battle spiritually. We should spiritually engage in the battle by praying and that that, in fact, is the most real expression because, as we would agree, the spiritual realm has a direct and very effectual impact on the physical realm. Why else would we pray, right? Why else would we pray? We agree the most real expression of this battle is spiritual. So we should pray. 
We should pray for, number one, peace. We should pray for peace. I'll read this psalm to you. Psalm 46, 9. Pray this psalm as I read it. Just make this your prayer to God now as I read it. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. God, may that be true. We should pray for peace. We should pray that God delivers us from evil, right? Number two, we should pray for believers. I'm back in Ephesians, still chapter 6. I've come on down, and I I don't mean to fast forward through uh, the spiritual arm of God because it's not helpful, it's critical. But I want you to see where he's ending here. In, In verse 18, he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. And who does he say this is for? Georgetown, you with me? Hey, who does he say this is for? For the Lord's people, right? So that's like some translations will say the saints. That's the the holy ones. Some translations will say the believers. And so we want to be praying for peace, like deliver us from evil, right? That God would bring peace that only he can provide. But we should also be praying for the believers. Now, I'm guessing that some of you immediately when you heard news of Russia's invasion, you might have gone to find out if there was a missionary you knew there. You might have asked a friend or somebody else at another church, do you know a missionary there? And I'm going to share with you later a missionary that uh, I'll just say is kind of there, okay? Um, But we'll get to that in just a second. So we should, number one, pray for peace. Number two, pray for the believers who are in the Ukraine right now. And I read an article by, uh, it was on Pathways, I think it was the Missouri Baptist Association, published it. And it was... um, It was Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary. And the president is quoted as saying something like, we have done this recently and we'll do this again now. The church will go underground. This is like a normal frame of mind for them. We have to work to become these strangers and aliens who live so, so totally different from others. They're used to that. Those are the people that we need to be praying for. They're not going to get to have church like this. They're going to have to go underground. They're going to have to hide to have church. Okay, so our third and last pray, uh, if you had your hand there in Matthew, I'm in Matthew chapter 5. So we will pray for peace. We will pray for the believers. Pray that they might be faithful, that they might be a light in the darkness. And we will pray, uh, let's read Matthew chapter 5, verses Uh, 43 and 44. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. And what? Georgetown, what? And pray for those who persecute you. Now, persecution is generally just in the realm of you have this faith I don't agree with, I'm going to persecute you. Well, now we have an entire nation who's being invaded by somebody because they just believe that it's their dirt, right? So I would say that we could call them an enemy, okay? I don't think that I'm stretching this much. I don't think I'm making a major political statement. The globe right now, outside of a selected country, is definitely in agreement that there's a defined enemy, right? So we're needing to, as Christians, have a holy response that glorifies God. So we will, number one, pray for peace. Number two, pray for the believers. And number three, Pray for the enemies. We'll pray that the enemies can come to know God. We'll pray that they receive the same peace, 
the same comfort, the same hope that as believers we have. Okay, now Paul said something in Ephesians 6, 18, and if you want to flip back there, you're welcome to, but I'll just tell you. He says, pray, keep on praying, like always pray. Like, uh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, he says, always keep on praying, right? So this doesn't stop. Now, if you're like me, I'm just a little bit like, I really need to see the steps on how this works, right? Because right now, am I actually praying for the believers? Maybe a little bit. It's very difficult to do, like, while you're talking. But I want to be faithful. I want to obey, right? So this is something I just kind of experimented this week because it was already on my mind. So as I went around, or just went around, like my everyday life, I took out trash, right? I got gas. I got groceries. I cooked dinner. As I'm doing those things, I'm thinking, you know, in the Ukraine, what does it look like to get gas right now? I wonder if the pump is empty. Or what does it look like if, if I was going to bake a cake in the Ukraine right now? And I'm sure that if my country was under siege, I was probably not baking a cake. But I'm talking about our lives right now, just our lives. And how do we always keep on praying? How can we, like Brother Lawrence just says, like, prayer time, right? This concept of always praying that Paul expects us to do. He expects it of the Ephesians, the Thessalonians, like, he expects it. We should be always praying. So how do we do that? Well, I would offer to you that as you go about your everyday life, think, how is this kind of behavior happening right now in the Ukraine, and how can I support my brothers and sisters in prayer? All right, finally, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ respond to war by number one, what? Say it with me. Hope, hoping in the Lord. Number two, praying. We pray for peace. We pray for believers, and we pray for the enemy, right? And this is our last point. I don't pretend that this is exhaustive in any way, but these are three steps that, as a church, we're going to take. Finally, we give. Many of you already give at georgetownchristian.org slash give. Many of you may have already found a, a favorite mission that, you know, supports people in the Ukraine, and you've already given. Great. But we're going to talk about giving. So if you want to turn with me, I'm going to 2 Corinthians in the 8th chapter. Now, we just talked about these folks, right? Like last week, we talked about the Corinthians. We talked about the Corinthians because they had produced fruit in repentance, right? They were this terribly disastrous church who was actually proud of their sin. Remember the insane sins that were going on, and they were arrogant and proud and boastful of that. And now we have Paul writing them a letter where we're finding out that they're a different church. But he's reminding them. Paul is trying to remind them of a promise that they'd made, a work that they've started. And he's comparing, if, if you can imagine this, imagine just this country of Greece, and there's Achaia, right, where Corinth is, that's the southern region, and there's a northern region, Macedonia, and that's where Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea are, all right? So you've got these two groups of churches on the island of Greece, and he is now writing to the churches in Corinth, church in Corinth, right? He's writing to them, but he's telling them about Macedonians, right? So for us, let's just pretend that we're talking about the who days, right? The like Cincinnati nation of sad people that didn't win the Super Bowl, right? So imagine this letter being to us. Imagine us being that disaster church. Hard to imagine, right? Okay, we have sin too. But now we're repentant and we want to be the people that we promised that we would be before. So that's the mindset I want to read. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. 
we, and, and now brothers and sisters, he's writing to believers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, right? So he's telling the Corinthians about the Macedonians. And, and <clears throat> here's what he says. In the midst of a, a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. So Paul was taking a collection for these very poor Christians in Jerusalem. And he'd started that work in in Corinth and now he's asking Titus to finish that. He's asking Titus to pass along the message. I need you to finish the collection and bring it back to Jerusalem. Remember, Corinthians, you said you wanted to give. Remember? And look at these Macedonians. And this is the part that I want. I want this for me. I want this for you. I want this for us. I want, it. I want the grace of giving. So some of you have already experienced that grace. You've already found a place that you can give. And you know that they support refugees. Or you know that they're a country that borders Russia somehow. And they're going to help in this effort. Some of you have not experienced the grace of giving, and I want to invite you to imagine it this way. Uh, you probably know, many of you, that Andrea and I have welcomed a couple of little girls into our house like last October, and they, I want to tell you how they came to our house, because I think it really paints a great picture of Macedonia. It's just uh, like literally impossible for a Westerner to even understand what nothing means. It's it's beyond us, right? So these girls, five and six years old, they arrive at our house like at 1030 at night, and they come in with these coats on that are like super shiny. You don't have to guess where they came from, I'll tell you, because they also came in with a brand new piece of luggage. It was full of brand new clothes because they have nothing, right? The family caseworker went to Target with them at like nine o'clock at night, got a suitcase, filled it full of clothes and put coats on them and brought them to our house. They lived in poverty. They arrived in poverty. Everything they had was in a suitcase that wasn't even theirs. Now imagine the next day or the next week. I don't know. I just, I don't remember when it was. I just remember how powerfully this hit my heart. They were given, I can't tell you, candy, cookie, donut. I have no idea what it was. One of them was given it because we're parents and we're finite and we can do one at a time. And so one of them got the cookie, candy, donut, whatever, let's say a donut, got the donut and with a smile said, you can have it and gave it to her sister. I mean, we know there's more donuts, right? I mean, we live in a land of like, who brought a box of donuts today? Literally everybody brought donuts, okay? We've all got candy in our car, in our pocket, and we're going to have a cookie if we want one, right? But they came from nothing, like extreme, severe trial and total poverty produced rich generosity with literal joy on their face, giving all they had to the other. That's the kind of joy 
that the Macedonians begged Paul for. That's the kind of joy that I want to experience. I want all of us to experience that kind of joy. We have so much, we're like trapped by it. So I'm going to invite you to give. Let's fix it, all right? Let's fix that problem. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how to fix that problem in your own life because it's a grace that's given by God. I am going to invite you to educate yourself. So I've talked with our mission team. We do not currently support a specific mission work, missionary, mission agency that has a direct presence in the Ukraine, okay? I'm still going to give my money to the Georgetown Christian Church mission team and say, you figure out where it best serves the refugees that have been created by the behavior that's gone on over there, right? I'm still going to trust my money there because I love our team and I trust their behavior. I trust their actions with our money. However, I do want to tell you that in the Christian standard, and this is just super fun because I told you we'd come back to this, right? So it actually wasn't a Russian accent that these exchange students had. It was a Ukrainian accent. And my friend, I'll just use big air quotes, I was not even friends with her on Facebook until this week. But when I read the Christian Standard and they recommended this mission agency called Mulberry International, they're an orphanage that, like last week, they were an orphanage in the Ukraine. Um, now they're a fallout shelter in the Ukraine. So they were just helping children, but because of the ignorant behavior of a moron, now they're a bomb shelter, right? So Mulberry International is a mission organized by a lady who wants to go mall, find boots, right? who lives in Louisville now and says, we're going to reach out to orphans in the Ukraine. So Mulberry International is actually one of the girls that rode with me to Nashville, super crazy, but she's been ministering to orphans in the Ukraine through that organization for I don't even know how long. But you know how you can find out? Literally every news agency in Louisville now has done a story on Mulberry International to tell us how we can help. So Christians... If we want to respond in a way that glorifies God to a war that's devastating a country that's really not ours, but we have brothers and sisters there, we can put our hope in the Lord, we can pray, and we can give. So one other way I want you to be aware that you can give, this isn't just the missions team, but in our food pantry, because natural consequences, we're probably going to have some more supply chain issues, right? I think that's inevitable. So... We have a food pantry that's open on Wednesdays here. And if you haven't been involved in that food pantry, I'll just tell you a couple of ways. You can see Myra in the library. She'll tell you how to help. You can show up Wednesday at noon. They'll tell you how to help. You can sort food on a non-Wednesday. They have to go through like 55,000 tubs of crackers and find out which ones need to be given out first. You can come during VBS and help gather the hordes of food and put it into the closet. You can give money. Because I guarantee you, there are going to be people, be people who are not affected in the way that, like, you know, I'm not going to go to Europe on vacation this year. I'm just going to, like, keep it continental, you know, maybe do a trip around the U.S. There are going to be people who can't afford food because of the behavior of another nation. Our food pantry is here to help that. By giving time or money to our food pantry, we, as Christians, can express our hope in a God who saves Georgetown, I invite you to bow your heads. I invite you to consider, uh, as I bring up these three points we covered, a Christian response to war.
puts our hope in God, prays for peace for the believers, for the enemy, and gives. Father God, what do you have for us corporately? What do you have for us individually to do in response to this war in a way that glorifies your name? May our behavior bring you glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.